The slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Later, Simon was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. They themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew. Your own nation and chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Christians must not only be committed to truth, but what defines us, specifically separating us from the world, is the truth. That is the truth Jesus was speaking of in chapter 18 when he told Pilate, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In this morning's scripture, Peter, the one who denied Christ three times, which Christ foretold would happen because he is God, would by grace still be blessed to hear the words of Christ, the truth of Christ, and therefore be used by Christ to teach us with the truest of credibility. Peter's Holy Spirit-inspired words model for us what someone who has heard and responded to the truth of Christ and what it looks like. 
Please stand with me and open your Bibles to this morning's scripture, 1 Peter 1, 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. And please follow along with me as I read from God's word. Since you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Obedience to the truth results in true love. Only when the true word, Jesus, is being preached and received. Please bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the author and creator of all things, the one who holds all things together, infinite truths clearly observed in the seen and even unseen qualities that without ceasing testify of you and all your creation. By your eternal and divine nature, God, you reveal yourself to us every second of every day, continually showing us what only you have the power to make, which continually sings unapologetically praises of your glory and all that has been made. By your power, you made the earth, and by your wisdom, you established true order and structure for the world. Sadly, however, even being surrounded by truth, our world is full of lies. Beginning in the garden and ending on Judgment Day, lies that fight for our hearts and minds, lies that threaten such darkness that it leads to people denying you, even though they know you, Creator God, are observed in all things. Such futile thinking leads to failing to honor you and thank you for all that you are and do for us. Fortunately, you do not leave us to fend for ourselves in a struggle we cannot win. You, Lord Jesus, the word in flesh, not just a truth, but the truth needed to overcome sin, the truth you claim into the world to testify of, the only way to the Father from a dying world. Lord, we ask that your true words, your true love, would be clearly communicated this morning in a way that reflects you, Lord, the true word. And that if there is anyone here yet to hear and receive the truth, your truth, you would make it happen. That you would do the work that only you can do. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we are gathered here. It's in your name, Jesus, we offer praise. Thanksgiving. Petition, prayer, amen. Please be seated.
You know, three different people walked up to me today and said they were praying for me. That's not enough. Um, I, I, I pray... I pray that I will always remember to when I'm blessed to be up here to ask all of you to in your head be praying for me that I would properly with integrity um, open up God's word. So I always ask, please be praying for me while this is happening. When I'm blessed to teach God's word, I place my eyes on his words. I ask myself, what stands out in the scripture that I'm so privileged to address? Then after I've identified some obvious themes, I search the scriptures and pray for clarity and direction. With this in mind, I looked at the scripture this morning, and what jumped out pretty quickly were three obvious themes. The truth, love, and the living and enduring word of God, the word. But why are these words so emphasized by Peter? Because only with the truth can we have and know, practice true love, which is made possible only by the true word. That is Jesus being preached and received. But how do we know this? Certainly not because I'm saying it. But rather these are foundational doctrines. Doctrine note is just a fancy word for biblical truths. Truths that must be known and upheld. And doctrines are threaded throughout the entire Bible consistently connecting to each other which helps to testify to the truth of God's words because of the consistency of God's word. And because COC is a Bible church, we are going to use a whole bunch of God's words to celebrate this morning. The truth, true love, and the true word. You'll note at the bottom of the notes you've been provided, I list, I try to list all the scriptures that I use. It would be very difficult for you to flip to all of those. So that's why I provide them. And my hope is that throughout the week, you'll reflect on the sermon and take a look at the scripture, not just to inform yourself, but to test me, to make sure I'm holding up God's word with integrity. But with that considered, today I am going to point you to a couple of standout passages in the Bible that I hope you will turn to me with. So for those of you who have a Bible, please be prepared to to open it up. With that, you know, I was thinking today, not only should we all be able to know what God's word says, but where it says it. And the only way that can happen is by placing our eyes on it. And if there's anyone in here that doesn't have a Bible, all you got to do is raise your hand if you'd like like one, and and, uh, an usher will bring you one. But those of you who do who have them, please be prepared to to turn to a couple of spots. Not a whole bunch, because again, it'd be crazy with all the scripture that's listed, but some standout scripture I really want to read with you. What I mean by that is for all of us to have our eyes on. Please look again at 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls. What is truth? 
That is how Pilate responded to Jesus' claim of the truth. What is truth? We need to address this because our postmodern world today says there is no truth. For my entire college career as a student, I had to listen to professors toss out this question to impressionable students as though they were being cutting edge and original with their clever views of the world as they try to deconstruct and deny the realities that define how, by common grace, most people truly see the world. However, here we see in the scripture that this worn out anything but original cliche, what is truth, was how Pilate responded to Jesus moments before acknowledging to the Jews the truth of Jesus' innocence with his very words. I find no guilt in him. And listen to what Pilate, again, the man who claims to not know what truth is, which, by the way, is called lying. Listen to what he did and said before caving to the fear of man over God. And in doing so, agreed to the whipping and crucifixion of an innocent man who also happened to be the image of the invisible God. Just listen to what Matthew 27, 24 tells us that Pilate did and said. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Even more compelling, I believe, is the New King James Version, which reads, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. This just person. Just Well, just listen to the definition of just in this context. Guided by truth, reason, justice, and fairness, based on what is right and lawful, in keeping with the truth, what is factual. The truth of the matter here is that Pilate, a man who claimed he did not know what truth is, at the same time was so committed to knowing and believing the truth of Jesus' innocence, and I will add scared and convicted, that he needed to wash his hands of the death sentence he was imposing on an innocent man. But Pilate, sadly, was not committed enough to the truth to refute the false narrative of the bloodthirsty mob. Pilate knew what truth is. And this is because just as our guest preacher emphasized last week, citing chapter 22 in Isaiah, human history is an ongoing testimony of truth, full of real people and real events, because God, the creator of everything, is real. Unless a person is mentally challenged or given over to a depraved mind because of their commitment to darkness, most people know what truth is. By common grace, the Lord has given us brains that function according to truth. This is called sense. Unfortunately, often people pick and choose their truths, suffering from what Proverbs calls lacking sense. But the reality is we all function throughout and negotiate our days with countless truths. Just ask anyone at 33,000 feet if they believe the pilot is still needed to land the plane. (laughs) Or try and find someone willing to pet a rattlesnake because you are committed to calling it a puppy. If you want to keep it, it's a baby. If not, it's a fetus. We all, some more wisely than others, also depend on basic truths to survive each and every day. 
If you play with fire, you will get burned. If you don't look both ways crossing the street, you will probably get run over by a car. If you don't honor your employment responsibilities, this even applies to academic elites who claim there is no truth, you will not get paid and you will not continue to have a job. If you don't bathe, you will stink. <laughs> we could go on forever. Truth be told, life, practically speaking, is about how well a person negotiates the inescapable truths that define life in an ordered and structured world created by a very purposeful God. But doesn't it make so much sense that the greatest threat, again, practically speaking, to properly functioning in this life is falsehood, non-truths, lies. Just as the father of lies stained us with, according to Genesis 3, when he said to Eve, surely you will not die. And contrary to this lie told by Satan, we, unless fortunate to be raptured, will most likely die a physical death because of the truth of what happened in the Garden of Eden and a spiritual death if the truth of God is not believed and received before our physical body dies. And this belief is also called obedience. And because of the truth of physical death, we are all in varying degrees practice truth throughout our days in an effort to survive, to not die earlier than we have to. Which brings me to a truth that Pilate did not have, a truth no one can have, no one can obey without the grace of God. The truth, the gospel, the only truth that saves from spiritual death, which must be heard Considering again Jesus' words, right before Pilate asked him, what is truth? Jesus said, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who hears the truth hears my voice. And what happens when Jesus' voice is heard? Well, listen to what Jesus says. In John 10, 27 through 30, which, by the way, is what so enraged the Jewish mob. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them from my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Obedience to the truth, according to Jesus, requires two things. Hearing Jesus and following Jesus. And when a person hears and follows Christ, they are blessed with eternal life. When a person hears the truth of Jesus, but does not follow, they are not blessed with eternal life. Because again, according to Jesus... In John 14, 6, the truth is, he is the only way to God. And just so that we are clear about what exactly his sheep hear and follow in obedience to the truth, well, again, Jesus tells us in the very opening words of his earthly ministry, commanding us in Mark 1, 15, repent, 
and believe in the gospel. Later, following Jesus' death and resurrection, listen to how he proclaims the truth of Scripture that he himself had fulfilled. Again, real people and real events and a very real God. Luke 24, 46 through 47 tells us, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. Much more important than the infinite and undeniable truths that define life in a broken world, truths that our world pretends do not exist, is the truth that prepares us for and carries us into the next world, eternity, while at the same time supernaturally helping us to negotiate most effectively our time in this world. Because as Romans 12, 14 tells us, we've not only been freed from the penalty of sin, but the slave bondage of it. Christians must not only be committed to the reality of truth that can be seen everywhere, but the truth, which is the ultimate target of those who claim truth does not exist. Much more than the notion of truth, the world hates the idea of an all-encompassing truth, the truth, because of accountability and consequences, which is why the world is so hostile towards Christianity, as Jesus makes clear in John 15, 19, where he says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Because those who hear the voice of Christ and follow him rather than the world are transformed for his glory. And one of the truest testimonies of a transformed by Christ's life is the ability to practice true love according to God's standard and not the world's. A standard for love that testifies to the world that we follow Christ. The one who purifies our souls, continuing in verse 1 of Peter 1, 22, the one who purifies our souls for sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from your heart. When I was in college and not walking with the Lord, I had a friend, a very pretty friend. We really enjoyed each other's company. However, she always had a boyfriend and I always had a girlfriend. She would even joke around stating, someday when we're both divorced, we'll finally get together. The joke, while not even walking with the Lord, I knew was not funny. I'm blessed with parents who always modeled for me a Christ-centered marriage. My mother specifically would always preach to me the sanctity of marriage and the horrors of brokenness. 
Her mother was married four times and had a bunch of boyfriends in between. The divorce joke should have been a red light for me at that very moment, but I can be a little slow. Anyway, a few years later, after my friend had gotten married, she made it clear to me that her marriage was not something she thought should keep us apart any longer. At the time, I was in graduate school, and I was fairly close with a graduate advisor at the time, and I shared my predicament with her. The brilliant, by the world's standards, PhD, looked at me and said, Duane, I do not prescribe to the institution of marriage, and I don't think you have to either. If you want to be with this person, you should. Love is love. Well, by grace... The grace of God, even though I was not walking with him at the time, I knew that was a bunch of nonsense. And I'm so very thankful the Lord did not give me over to sin and that he would, by grace, not long after, slam me to my knees and begin revealing himself to me in ever-deepening levels here in his word. And soon after would bless me with the greatest gift he's given me in this life, my amazing wife. And that would turn into seven kids. (laughs) love is love is a silly statement it makes no sense in fact at the time in 1998 I I dismissed the phrase from my grad school advisor as hogwash graduate school postmodern rhetoric silliness but now sadly in 2023 Love is love is the battle cry used to justify any forms of sexual expression, including but not limited to married people having multiple sex partners, which is called polyamory. And you're all going to be hearing a lot more about that in the future, sadly. Love is love could actually be defined as self-love, be it very superficial, because that is what's encouraged when people are told that they should just do whatever they want to do as long as it feels good. Personal autonomy with all things. Nothing. Nothing in the world is more important than me and what I want. That is the polar opposite of true love. Please turn with me right now to John, 1 John 4. 1 John 4. And read along with me, verses 7 through 21, and I hope you note this. I hope you note this and never forget, this is the definition of love, according to God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, 
We also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses Jesus is the son of God. God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from God that the one who loves God should also love his brother. God is love. Love is not love. God is love. He himself modeled for us by sanctifying himself for us, sacrificing himself for us. His words make it very clear that true love reflects him because he gives us the ability to love just as he loves with fidelity and sacrifice, which can be defined in two words, true love. This is why it's so important that we practice this among the brethren so that the world sees it. The world sees the love of God boldly on display. Whether or not a person loves based on the love of God, again, this definition that God gives us here in 1 John 4, is perhaps the truest test for a person to self-reflect and evaluate whether or not they actually know God. Because according to God's words, God is love. And according to verse 13, which I will read again, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. So if you have God in you, you will love accordingly. Perfectly? Obviously not. But by his sanctifying spirit, we must always be maturing in true love if we are following his lead. And while we are called to love our neighbors and our enemies, today's scripture places special emphasis on the brethren. Later in 1 Peter 2.17, it is made clear we are supposed to have an elevated love for our brothers and sisters in the church, stating that we are to honor all people, but love the brotherhood. I think my favorite practical example 
of practical Christian love exemplified for me are the words of a man named John Wooden, who went home to be with the Lord on June 4th, 2010. John Wooden coached basketball at UCLA from 1948 to 1975 and led the Bruins to 10 national championships, including seven in a row from 1967 to 1973. However, this is not what impressed me. I don't even follow organized sports at all. I do, however, love wise words. And in an interview, I once heard this man say, the most important thing a man can do for his kids is to love their mother. Curious about the man, I did some research and was not surprised to discover him to be a devout follower of Christ. And his legacy testifies to that. And for our purposes here, isn't it interesting that Jesus' elevated view of marriage is the illustration he uses to show how much he loves us? In Ephesians 5, 25 through 31, listen to how God's words speak of marriage, emphasizing Christ's love for his church body. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of water in the word, so that he might present himself, the church, in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Years ago, when I was first called into ministry, working with kindergartners, the man who trained me stressed to me that my first ministry is my wife, then my kids, and nothing, even service to the body, can be permitted to compromise this in any way. Just imagine how much more the light of Christ would shine from the church if men were committed to loving their wives this way. And if unmarried men pursued marriage with this standard. And women, what if all women demanded this standard before getting married? And I will add, before giving themselves away. Women, you have no idea how much power you have until you give it away. And while this Ephesians passage is addressed to men, the sacrificial standard for love mirrored with Christ's love for us applies to both men and women because Ephesians 1 tells us all to imitate God by walking in love the same way he did sacrificially. And while this is most intimately practiced in the home, this true love, commitment and putting others before ourselves is also the standard being upheld or must be held, should be upheld among the brethren. That is the church body. 
as we seek to serve each other. And we know this because of the true word modeled for us, who also enables us to follow his lead. Please turn back to 1 Peter and read along with me as I continue verses 23 through 25. And you have been born again, not of seed which is imperishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Now, please turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. It's nice to hear those pages turning. God's word is meant to be engaged and not just by the person in the front. All right. John chapter 1. Please follow with your eyes as I read verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He is in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor of will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the embodiment of this, the word of God. This is further emphasized in Revelation 19.13, where scripture gives a future picture of Christ's return telling us that he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. The truth about the truth is that only the truth can set us free from the lies that define the world starting in Genesis 3 and bookending in Revelation 22.15. From Genesis 3 to Revelation 22:15, it is clear 
that at the core of what separates and defines God and Satan's influence on us is truth and lies. And there is no in between. A person is either with God or Satan. And these are not my words. Listen closely to what 1 John 3, 9 through 10 tells us. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. These true words, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, are inspired by God. Even more accurately, I believe, the ESV and NIV translations say, breathed out by God. Words that Hebrews 4.12 calls alive and active. And this is because it all reflects the author of salvation. The true word embodied in a man who is also fully God. Jesus is the true word in flesh who loved us, making it possible for us to truly love because the truth of what he did on the cross. I'd like again to repeat part of what Christ said to Pilate. I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. If you believe you have heard his voice, does your life testify to what Jesus says this looks like in John 10, 27, where he boldly declared, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. What about your life tells others that you indeed follow Christ? What would your wife say? What would your husband say? Your kids, your friends, neighbors, colleagues at work. How does your life display the truth, true love, and commitment to the true word for your brothers and sisters in the church? And if you are someone who has not responded to hearing the voice of Christ, would you pray about that? Would you ask him directly to help you believe and receive his gift of grace? All you have to do is turn to him in a silent prayer because it is only between you and him, no one else. And ask him, Lord Jesus, Would you do the work in me that only you can? I come to you with my sins that only you can forgive and free me from. And I ask that you would bless me with the spirit to hope in eternity and enable me to follow you. That's all you need to do. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, author of the truth and perfect model of true love 
You are the true word in flesh. Today, your words remind us that all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. Today's words also remind us of how consistent your words are. Start to finish and testify to the perfect truth in your words. Months ago, in Matthew chapter 6, your words also assured us that unlike grass that is alive today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, those who hear and respond to your words have no such fear because of the eternal garments you clothe us in, your love and kindness, and all you ask for in return is that we follow the Lord we claim with obedience to the truth, your truth, and lift up your church with true love as defined and modeled by you, the word in flesh, who also empowers us to obediently follow your lead, which we praise you for, thank you for, and ask that you would do for us individually and collectively here at Church of